This is episode 165 with registered dietitian, certified running coach, and host of the Eat for Endurance podcast, Ms. Claire Shorenstein. Welcome to the Strength Running Podcast. I'm Jason Fitzgerald, your host today and the coach and author behind Strength Running. I've been running for more than 22 years, and my goal with Strength Running is to share what I've learned along the way and give you the strategies, the ideas, and the resources to accomplish all of your big goals. Whether that's running your first race ever to your first 100-mile ultra marathon, from getting through a season healthy and injury-free to running a big personal best, you'll hear from the thought leaders in the running industry. The coaches, psychologists, dietitians, and therapists who make running fast possible. I want you to better understand running, to view knowledge as a competitive advantage, and to always have the tools to take your running to the next level. Because the more you understand the sport, the better decisions you'll make about your training. Don't miss our other 164 episodes of the podcast, our video channel at youtube.com slash strengthrunning, or our home base, strengthrunning.com where you can find all of our coaching and training programs that help you prevent injuries, run faster, build mental skills like confidence, or become stronger and a more powerful athlete. A big thank you to our sponsor, Inside Tracker, the ultra-personalized nutrition platform. They analyze your blood and DNA biomarkers along with your lifestyle habits to help you optimize your diet, your lifestyle, and your exercise in order to reach your goals. They're now offering their best deal of the year with $200 off the Ultimate Plan, which is their most comprehensive package. Use code GIFTFROMSTRENGTHRUN at InsideTracker.com. Our guest today is Claire Shorenstein, a dietitian and running coach who hosts the Eat for Endurance podcast. I first met Claire way back in 2015. We were both speakers at the National Endurance Sports Summit at Princeton, and I had the pleasure of being on a panel with her about fueling and eating for endurance. She caught my attention as someone who understands the science of eating for performance, but also isn't shy to say that there are no black and white answers. And it's that measured, honest perspective that brings her to you today. We're talking about diets and how to eat for optimal performance and recovery, But we'll start with an overview of three specific diets first, the alkaline, anti-inflammatory, and microbiome diets. What are the goals of these diets? How do they accomplish those goals? And are they worth your time? For more on how to eat as an endurance runner, don't miss our free course at strengthrunning.com slash nutrition. Without further delay, please enjoy my conversation with Claire Shorenstein. Hey, Claire, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me, Jason. It's great to be on the show. Yeah, I'm excited. We've uh, done this once before, and I'm excited to do it again. I want to talk to you all about all kinds of different diets and how us as runners, as athletes, as endurance athletes, how we should be thinking about these diets and whether or not they're worthy of us really trying to adhere to them pretty strictly. Um, But before we get into those diets, I want to talk a little bit more about you because you have such uh, a, a great background. Uh, you're someone I love to talk to because you know you're a registered dietitian, but you're also a running coach, and you just have a great background in a lot of these issues. Um, so, how long have you been a dietitian? I've been a dietitian since uh, 2014, and I got my master's in 2015. 
And um, I, you know, went back to school kind of late, but uh, I've been really in the running world and um, very, very much interested in nutrition and learning about nutrition for a lot longer than that, but actively working as a dietitian since then. Yeah. And you, after you graduated from Yale, you, um, is that when you got your running certification as a coach or did you wait a little while for that as well? Oh no, that was much later. Yeah. I, I basically all through my twenties was kind of all over the place and like literally all over the world. <laughs> I was living in all kinds of different places and traveling and, and working and different things. And, um, and really I got, you know, it back into running later in, I guess it was in my mid late twenties into distance running specifically. I did cross country earlier in my life and, um, just really fell in love with distance running and thus of course nutrition. Cause that goes hand in hand that you have to really, you know, be in tune with, uh, what your body needs and feeling yourself well to succeed as a distance runner. So that kind of prompted me, um, in working with a coach myself and really loving that, um, that prompted me to do the, um, the coach training and, um, and apply to graduate school to be a dietitian. Um, so I went back to school later in life for that and really just dive right into it. Yeah, it's great. And, we met, I think, in 2015. We were at the National Endurance Sports Summit, and we were on a panel together talking about fueling and uh, you know, kind of eating for endurance and how runners and other endurance athletes can think about that. And um, you just had some really great things to say. I, th- I thought you know you uh, had a good understanding of some of the latest science on eating and fueling. So I'm excited to chat with you now. Thank uh, you. We are going to talk about a couple different diets here, the alkaline diet, the gut health diet. And we're also going to talk a little bit about the anti-inflammation diet. These are three diets that, you know, if you're waiting in line at the grocery store, you might see some weird magazine that promotes one of these diets. Or if you go on Amazon and search for diet books, I'm sure there will be no shortage of all kinds of very specific branded diets, which is different than a lot of the kind of general way that I've talked about nutrition on this podcast with a whole variety of of registered dietitians uh, across the industry. Um, But maybe we can start with the alkaline diet. Um, And and I'm going to play kind of dumb here. I I really just want to hear you and your thoughts on these diets. You know, let's start basic. What is the alkaline diet? What is it trying to do for the person who's trying to eat this way? Yes, sure. Um, so I will just preface all this discussion by saying that personally, as a dietitian, I do not normally prescribe diets to my clients um, unless there really is a medical reason to do so. And uh, you know, even kind of before we are rec- you know recording, when you said you wanted to talk about these diets, I had to kind of do a little research to kind of make sure I got all my facts right about these diets, just because oftentimes they are just really packaging, um, you know little tidbits of healthy eating, but, you know, other things, but just repackaging them all together. And sometimes not in a healthy way. Sometimes they are recommending uh, lots of healthy ways of eating and just in a kind of different form. But, um, but just want to kind of put that out there before we dive into it. But (laughs) alkaline diet, um, alkaline diet, the theory behind that is that eating acid producing foods leads to metabolic imbalance. Um, and this can cause other things to happen like mineral loss or illness, um, basically as the body works to try to restore that equilibrium. Um, and, and the thinking behind this is, or the theory again, is that if you are eating more alkaline producing or an alkaline style of eating, that you can improve your health and restore this balance. Um, 
So there are people out there who believe that different foods that we eat can change the body's pH, but really the fact is that the cell and blood pH, they, they need to stay tightly controlled at all times. And, um, and that is around 7.4, the pH of 7.4. And for urine, it does vary. The pH does vary in a little, uh, you know, in, in to varying degrees, but we can predict it. We can actually calculate how certain foods affect the pH of urine. Um, and, you know, we know that typically, you know, certain foods like meat or certain proteins, meat, poultry, fish, some dairy products, salt, sugar, caffeine, um, those are thought to be the most acid forming foods, while um, some plant foods like fruits, vegetables are more alkaline forming um, and grains are thought to be, they can be a little bit acid forming. Um, legumes um, can vary. So that's kind of just like some background on that. Um, in terms of like what this all means, uh, the diet itself, I've, I'm trying to, you know, kind of looking into what it actually prescribes. I think, I believe it is a ratio of 80% alkaline forming foods and 20% acid forming foods. Um, and, you know, they're, they're, are certain guidelines there, but I think the bottom line, yes, it's good to eat more plant-based foods. We know that's healthy, you know, fruits and vegetables and all that. And some people think that protein is bad because it's acid forming, but in terms of the research out there, there isn't like large scale studies indicating, first of all, that this style of eating is necessarily good or bad or, or promotes kind of better health and supports kind of the theories behind it. Again, the body is really good at regulating pH, especially in, um, in, in the blood. So, um, so that's just something important to keep in mind. And also proteins aren't necessarily the major contributor to acid load based on the research, at least it can, um, you know, the body can compensate by the other foods it's, it's, you know, that are coming in to kind of adjust the pH and some proteins can help the body get rid of acid as well. And it does also depend on what ki kind of protein you're taking in. So plant proteins, for instance, may differ than animal proteins. So kind of the takeaway I would say in this is that the diet is unnecessarily restrictive in that, um, and, and obviously you're, if you're constantly thinking about how much of this can I eat and how much of that can I eat, like that doesn't really promote you just to kind of live your life and eat freely and pay attention to what your body really wants and craves. Um, and that's really what a lot of diets are doing is like, you're really relying on these external rules and regulations or whatever, rather than listening to yourself and being like, this is what I want to eat right now, which is what I always, obviously like there are certain things we need to eat, but it's really a good idea to tune into what you want as well. Especially if you're trying to just promote a healthy relationship with food and body generally, we can never forget, you know, yes, there's physical health, but we have to keep mental and emotional health in mind. Um, but really, as we often see, whether it's, you know, I'm trying to think like the paleo diet or whatever diet there is that includes these plant-based foods, like that's never a bad idea to eat more fruits and vegetables. So I think that's kind of a big takeaway from that diet. Yeah. And it seems like it, there are so many complexities here in foods that can potentially be acid forming or not. And some foods are in some situations and not that it's so complex that it's almost setting you up to fail because every food can, you know, affect you differently. And you really have to think about every little thing that you put in your mouth. Um, and so does, does that negatively affect adherence to a diet like this? I mean, I would think so. Uh, I mean, the more kind of rules there are to follow, I think that's just hard to keep up, especially if you have a social life and you want to like 
again, like you just want to eat something. I think with any diet, if you're going to go on a diet, again, not for a medical reason, but for whatever reason, um, then it's like you're either on the diet or off the diet. So it just sets you up to fail. You know, the the research does not support good adherence long term to to diets. And especially if you're doing things for weight loss, um, not that this is necessarily for weight loss, it is more about supposedly kind of just promoting health and balance, whatever that means. <laughs> but, um, but, you know, it's just a lot of people can't sustain it because they don't necessarily always want to eat that way. And maybe they want something that is on the no-no list or something. Um, but a lot of the things that are considered to be supposedly acid forming, like those are unhealthy foods, you know? So um, I think I think it really comes down to just, you know, paying attention, like, yes, trying to get a solid foundation of good nutrient-dense foods, making sure you're meeting your protein needs and getting good carbs in and getting fiber and plant foods, you know, all the general recommendations that we hear And then if you want like some other whatever food on top of that, that's okay, you know, and especially in a pandemic, like let's not add more stress to your life by creating food rules. Like what, where is that going to lead you to, you know, it's just not going to lead to anything good. Yeah. Amen. (laughs) It also strikes me as, you know, something that kind of triggers my BS meter, my BS alarm here, because if your body is so sensitive to what you're eating, that homeostasis can just be violated and thrown out of whack just because you eat, you know, some meat or, you know, you have a yogurt and there's dairy, you know, that just seems to me like our bodies are much more resilient than we give them credit for. And we can maintain a normal pH level and homeostasis in our body uh, just by eating normal foods, uh, even if they are, you know, quote unquote, acid forming. Yeah, exactly. And I think there are a lot of things that affect also how we feel. Not that I'm saying you necessarily feel if something's acid for me or not. And, and, in, but, you know, there's like a lot of, you know, connection, obviously, the gut brain connection is very strong. Um, people with any kind of disordered eating or eating disorder history, you can convince yourself that something doesn't feel great. Or maybe you're just so accustomed to not eating something, then you eat it and your body has a negative reaction which might be valid. And I'm not saying like, I don't believe, like if my client tells me, I don't feel good when I eat this food, I'm not going to sit there and be like, I don't believe you, (laughs) you know, eat it anyways. Like we can work, we'll work around it. So there are just so many tricky things that go into eating patterns and behaviors. Um, But certainly putting someone on an alkaline diet there, I don't see any medical reason or real reason that I know of to follow this diet. It's also interesting because if we never wanted to experience, you know, more acidic blood or anything like that, then we shouldn't really ever run hard because that's yeah. exactly what happens. <laughs> we go into oxygen debt and yeah. we're doing, you know, a VO2 max style workout or we're running a short and fast race and, you know, we start feeling that familiar lactic acid burn in our muscles. Well, that's because we're experiencing acidosis and there's a lot more uh, acidic exercise byproducts that are in our muscles at that time and in our blood. And, you know, that stuff gets cleared out just a couple minutes after you, you know, finish running at that intensity. So I think that's a, an interesting kind of different lens on that issue. Yeah, definitely. All right, let's move on to another diet that I've seen very popular. This one makes a little bit more sense to me. You know, I've never walked around saying, you know, I'm just feeling pretty acidic today. (laughs) (laughs) You know, maybe after a long run, I might feel like I have a, some inflammation going on in my body. So, you know, the anti-inflammatory diet is 
one that I've seen very popular. It's in magazines. I've seen it online constantly. Um, is the goal of this diet to simply reduce inflammation throughout the body? That's my understanding of it. Um, and I think of all the quote unquote diets I've seen, this one seems to be a little less so. Um, again, it's kind of packaged as an actual diet. And I believe Dr. Andrew Wheel developed it. Um, and there are, you know, these, you know, do's and don'ts on there. Um, and again, I think following anything to a T all the time is not necessarily healthy, but, uh, you know, it is based on the belief that chronic inflammation leads to chronic disease. And as we know, you know, we can't avoid inflammation altogether, nor do we want to, you know, inflammation can be helpful and important. For instance, acute inflammation, like if you fall and hurt yourself while running or something, you know, and it promotes healing. But obviously a chronic inflammation is not good for the body. And it's, it's been linked to many, uh, many illnesses that we obviously want to do our best to avoid and um, certain lifestyles, behavior, and certainly diet and exercise uh, play a role, right? So really, I guess the, the main goal of, of an anti-inflammatory diet or style of eating, it's really just promoting a lot of fruits and vegetables. So, you know, vitamins, minerals, fiber. It's also promoting um, essential fatty acids and particularly, in particular, omega-3 fatty acids, as that's believed to be anti-inflammatory in nature, phytonutrients, which are found in many plant-based foods. And um, I believe it's, it is kind of based on the Mediterranean diet, but with a few tweaks. So, so yeah, I think it's, it's, this diet to me just seems again, like a, a kind of repackaging with a few rules ish kind of, or a few little tweaks of just your general healthy recommendations for, for, you know, health and well-being, all of that. So lots of fruits and vegetables, especially those that are rich in antioxidants. And usually we are looking at like brightly colored fruits and vegetables for that whole grains, omega-3 fats. Um, yeah, that, that's kind of, of the, things we want to include. And then the things that typically um, we're wanting to limit um, would be kind of large amounts of refined sugar, highly processed foods, including wheat flour, um, you know, too much alcohol, certain oils such as uh, safflower oil, sunflower oil, corn oil, mixed vegetable oils, anything with margarine, vegetable shortening, fatty meats. So we're going more for like lean meats here. Um, high fructose corn syrup um, and sugar, lots of packaged foods. So things like pretzels or chips, which obviously as runners, you know, we're often eating those kinds of things with salt, especially if you're going for the longer distances. Um, excessive caffeine, which I wouldn't necessarily recommend for anyone, but that might be another one of, you know, kind of, of note for uh, any athletes who are taking in um, kind of caffeinated sports products, for instance. Um, so it's not necessarily like you can't have anything, but it is really kind of limiting those things. So, um, I think it has a lot of like common sense, good stuff. Um, it's also looking to spices. Like we know that there are a certain, um, there are certain spices like ginger or turmeric, cinnamon. Um, you know, there are lots of different spices that are good. It's, it's recommending green and black teas, which are known to have antioxidants, so yeah, lots of lots of stuff like that. Um, and it's also obviously recommending exercise as that's been shown to reduce blood levels of inflammation. Of course, how much exercise, uh, it doesn't, I don't think it says, and I'm not sure if it would be promoting or, or in supportive of like large amounts of exercise as many of us do. But um, but yeah, I think I think this is something that I can certainly get behind. Again, I would not ever say for someone to specifically follow this specific diet, but a lot of the things it's encompassing are really awesome things. 
Yeah, it seems as from a layman's person's perspective, it seems like a normal healthy diet. Eat more plants, reduce processed foods and excess sugar and exercise and you know get your sleep. It seems like those are the biggest um, recommendations they have. And, and my understanding too is that there is a big emphasis on uh, healthy fats, you know, things like olive oil, avocados, uh, fatty fish like salmon. And I'm just curious, how much is inflammation actually impacted by your diet? So if you, let's just say, Claire, you go for a, you're training for a 50K, you go for a 24 mile run this weekend. You know, it's like your big long run before the race. You're obviously going to be experiencing some inflammation in in the, the days that follow. If you have a plate of salmon and, and a bunch of, you know, of these foods that we've been talking about that are supposed to allegedly reduce inflammation in the body, is the food going to be doing that? Or is this more of a metabolic process that your cells simply need the raw materials to, to get it done? I mean, my understanding, well, first of all, I mean, obviously there's so much that food can do, Uh, you know, when you're talking about inflammation and recovering from a really big effort like that, there's just so many factors, you know, so rest and sleep, stress levels, but yes, nutrition is a key factor as well. Now eating a plate of salmon and some walnuts and chia seeds, flax seeds or whatever with omega-3 fatty acids, good healthy fats, like that's going to help you, but I, you know, I think it's naive to think like, oh yes, I'm gonna eat my salmon and then I'm suddenly going to be magically perfect, you know, and feel amazing. But it is, you know, important to make sure that we're getting enough to eat. So I think it's a little bit of, of both, you know, I think you need to kind of let your body work it out, but you need to support it by doing everything you can, um, in your control to, to help you recover well and to help you feel good. And that includes nutrition, obviously, but it includes, it includes other things. Right. And you mentioned this, but you said, you know, not all inflammation is bad. We certainly want some level of inflammation. And, you know, I remember years ago, there was a conversation about how distance running, endurance running promotes too much inflammation. And and that's bad for the body. We want to limit inflammation. There's certain exercise that we can do that doesn't take so long and it isn't so intense. And I just remember thinking to myself that, well, you don't adapt to stresses if there isn't some form of stress in the body. And inflammation is your body's way of dealing with that stress. You know, you're healing from some sort of stressful physical exercise, whether it's a hard workout on the track or you just ran 20 miles out in the woods. And without that small amount of inflammation, a normal amount of inflammation, that really short circuits the uh, stress adaptation cycle and your adaptations to the exercise that you're going to get. And and I think this is what we're learning too with, with ice baths. You know, if you take an ice bath after every single run, then you are short circuiting that adaptation process because you're limiting the uh, experience of being under stress that your muscles should be experiencing. You know, you should be a little sore, you should have some inflammation, and that is going to prompt your body to get stronger, build more mitochondria in your cells, and all the great things that we really want as endurance runners. And, and I just think it's funny that sometimes runners want to, to limit or even get rid of entirely the very thing that is making helping them become better runners. 
That's really interesting. I actually didn't realize, I mean, it makes sense when I think about ice baths, but I didn't actually realize that is now the recommendation to not do ice baths. Um, but yeah, exactly. I mean, I a hundred percent agree. And, and I think, you know, eating foods that are anti-inflammatory, it's not at all stopping the process. It's just kind of playing into things. And I think it's more playing more of a supportive role than like a hindering role. Right. Oh, I should definitely, uh, say that, yes, I agree with you there. And, and certainly no food is going to artificially, um, you know, reduce inflammation beyond a level that you really want, to, you know, besides like Advil or something that you're going to Yes. <laughs> but things like, you know, cryotherapy, any kind of ice bath, something like that will certainly do that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. All right, Claire, let's go on to our last diet. And then I want to talk to you a little bit more big picture about these three diets. Uh, and the last diet is the gut health diet, or it's also kind of known as the microbiome diet. What's the goal of this kind of diet? Um, my understanding is that you're just trying, you know, as we know that there's, there's lots of research on the microbiome right now, or gut health. And um, I, it's certainly not my area of expertise, but my understanding of it is, um, of this diet is it's really just trying to promote gut health and make sure that you are growing lots of good, healthy bacteria in your gut and you're eating in a way to, to support that, not kind of killing off your bacteria. Um, you know, as you know, kind of the typical Western diet isn't always very gut health friendly, especially if there aren't many plant-based foods in there. Um, so for anyone who isn't familiar, the microbiome is just the whole host of microorganisms that live in your digestive system. Um, and it's also uh, called the gut microbiota or or the gut or intestinal flora, gut flora. You may have heard all these terms, especially if you're, um, you know, if you know a little bit about this or you're taking probiotics or you've seen ads for probiotics or anything like that. Um, but, you know, a healthy gut is very, very important to overall health. There's just so much really interesting uh, research being done on that. And I won't even begin to pretend like I'm up on all of it, but there's a lot of stuff out there if you're interested in reading more. Um, and, and food plays a really important role. Um, and, and the reason behind that is certain foods, there's something called, there's a prebiotic and there's probiotics, um, and certain foods contain both. And we want both because they are essential to, um, promoting these bacteria to basically one is the prebiotic is, um, is, well, the probiotics, the, the bacteria, the healthy bacteria, the prebiotic is the food for the bacteria essentially. So we need both. We need to have the bacteria and we need to feed those bacteria. Um, so really kind of when we're talking about just, and again, I'm just going to draw the line between what I'm typically talking about with gut health and what this specific diet is, um, which again, I kind of had to research a little bit because I wasn't as familiar with this supposed diet. I think it was created by a doctor, but... Um, Could I ask you a, a simple question before we move on? Yeah, of course. Prebiotic versus probiotic, I think is really interesting. And I have heard this, but let me ask you a, a simple question. Why can't we feed this by bacteria with chips and steak and ice cream? Is that what would, they're bacteria. Can't they eat anything? <laughs> I mean, that's a good question. And I'll see if I can answer this correctly. But um, I mean, my understanding, like there's a lot of bacteria that lives in kind of like our lower intestines or, or colon and all of that. And typically, if you think about how food works down through your, your digestive tract, like a lot, by the time it gets to your very lower intestines and your colon before it's excreted, you know, that's, uh, that's kind of the food that 
um, you we can't digest and otherwise known as fiber, right? Um, so I, I don't really, you know, I don't know if I'm answering this correctly, if I know the the absolutely correct answer to that, but um, but typically bacteria, I mean, they're acting on all kinds of different things and they also produce things like some bacteria, one of the byproducts might be like vitamin K or even fatty acids. So or short chain fatty acids, like they can produce things that are also beneficial that we can absorb. But I think typically bacteria are acting on the things that we aren't digesting, including, um, including fiber. Uh, but also like, for instance, bacteria, like if you're lactose intolerant, um, bacteria might be acting on the, the part of the, you know, that milk that, or whatever dairy food that you're not digesting and producing gas, which can cause it like bloating and all of that. Um, so I'm not sure I know like that specific <laughs> answer to your question, but, um, yeah, I don't know why they can't work. I mean, I mean Mike, actually I do know the answer. What am I talking about? Um, because chips and things we're just digesting, we're just kind of breaking down and digesting and, um, and typically we're able to metabolize those foods ourselves. So by the time it gets down to, the lower parts of our intestines, those are the parts that we haven't digested. I think that's what I tried to say in a very indirect way. <laughs> so we actually need to eat some foods that are, are a little bit more difficult to digest so exactly. that the bacteria then has something to eat to, you know, provide itself with sustenance so that it can keep reproducing in the lower parts of our uh, intestines. And if we don't eat the proper fiber and things like that, then it's almost like there'll be no food for the bacteria by the time everything that you've eaten has gotten down to that point in the intestine. That's, that's the layman's uh, yes. idea of it all in my head. <laughs> yes, exactly. I had to kind of talk myself through that to that point. And I was like, oh yeah, okay. Connecting the dots here. But yes, exactly. That's, that's exactly right. Um, now, how do you know if you have good gut health or bad gut health? Because this seems like something that is completely inside of you. It, it doesn't necessarily have any impact on how you feel day to day, although I'm, I'm sure it does, but how would we know? Like, how do we answer this question? That's a good question. Um, I mean, I would say that one, one area to look at are your bowel habits or any kind of digestive issues you have. Um, if you have them, that could be maybe a, a window into your gut health. You know, obviously if you have really abnormal bowel habits or you're just bloated or just not feeling well all the time. And, you know, that could be one issue. If you've taken antibiotics, you know, before or multiple times before that pretty much wipes out or it can have an effect on at least your, um, your healthy bacteria in your gut. Although I, the last I read, I'm not sure like cause it used to be the recommendation that you would always take probiotics along with your antibiotics. But the last I read on that, it wasn't, um, I don't think it necessarily was saying that it made a difference. <laughs> so I'm not sure where things stand on that now, but, um, but yeah, I think, I think that's one area. And then also just kind of taking a look at what you're eating. Um, if you are not eating many plant-based foods, not having a very high fiber diet, um, you know, really just going for other things, lots of processed foods, you know, you're not really giving yourself, uh, a whole lot of good stuff uh, for those bacteria to eat. You know, if you're not including foods that are rich in, in either prebiotics or probiotics, so um, that's not great. I think there's also research showing that uh, babies who are born vaginally versus C-section, um, if you're born vaginally, you tend to have greater gut health as well. Um, so yeah, that's that's kind of the extent of my knowledge on that that question. Very interesting. And 
You know, I think for any runner who is looking at improving their diet, you could certainly go one of these routes and kind of pick a a branded, labeled, formal diet. And, you know, like a lot of these options, they're going to include, like you mentioned, Claire, so many good recommendations for what to eat and and almost like a meal plan of great breakfast, snacks, lunch, dinner, et cetera, et cetera. Um, But I, I was just wondering, you know, it seems like no matter what diet we're looking at, it could be the anti-inflammatory diet, the alkaline diet, the microbiome diet, or even something that we didn't talk about, like let's say, you know, the paleo diet. It seems like there are some broad overarching principles to all of these diets and that pigeonholing ourselves into one or the other and trying to follow all these, you know, very strict rules is not necessary. So what are some of those broad principles that we can follow to get most of the benefits of these diets, but without any of the restrictions. Yeah. I mean, I think one thing that, I mean, not all of these diets, like there's the carnivore diet and there's the fruit, like fruit only diet, you know, there's some, there's some very extreme diets out there, but I'd say most diets tend to promote a lot of non-starchy vegetables, um, not always fruits, but, you know, plant-based foods for the most part. Um, again, a lot of diets are, are, kind of considering things like grains or dairy or legumes, like certain things to be off limits. Um, you know, certain, certain diets are arguing with that saying, no, it's great. So, so I think it's, you know, we can't always piece together the common themes from all the diets, but a lot of the time we, we take away from these things that, okay, it's pointing to non-starch. I would say almost all of them include non-starchy vegetables, uh, which obviously are good things to have. But obviously we want to, we want to include starchy vegetables too. And especially for runners, like starchy vegetables are awesome and not just sweet potatoes, but the white potatoes too, that have lots of potassium and other good stuff. So, you know, I think a lot of times we just, we're so just, I don't know, it's ingrained in us that like white rice is bad or pasta is bad or white bread is bad or, you know, white foods are bad or whatever it is. Something's bad. This is good. Um, Trying to like let go of that and just okay, let's, let's, yes, let's include a lot of whole foods that, you know, are plant-based, um, are, it's great lean proteins for the most part. If you're consuming meat and fish and poultry, that's all good stuff. Wonderful. Fine. If not, that's also okay. You're just going to rely a little bit more heavily on, you know, whole grains and beans and legumes and nuts and seeds and, and whatnot. Um, but, but yeah, like, like omega-3 fatty acids. Yes. We want to include those antioxidants. Yes. We definitely want to include those things. Um, you know, obviously exercise is thought to kind of contribute to oxidative stress in the body. So including that is, is wonderful and great. Um, but, but I think, you know, all of these, we want to be just really careful about falling into these rules, you know, in black and white thinking and not allowing ourselves to eat something because, you know, it's, it's going to kind of make or break everything, or it's going to make us unhealthy, or it's bad, or whatever the thought process is, you know, I think any, there's absolutely room for sugar in the diet, um, that is fine. Obviously, we don't want copious amounts all of the time. But, you know, I've had clients who are afraid to just even take on like gels, because it has sugar. And it's like, that's an investment in your performance. And as long as your body's tolerating it, it's fine, you know, we're going to burn that off. Um, but, you know, also just thinking again about emotional and mental health. It's not just about physical health. Health is about more than the physical. It's about everything. And if you're constantly stressing about 
following the rules of some diet or following the rules in your own head that came from all the things you've read in the past, all put together in decades of just food, arbitrary food beliefs, you know, whether some are, you know, warranted or not, um, that's stressful. And you can be expending that energy, you know, channeling that energy into so many other more important things. So I think whenever we think about nutrition, it's important to, yes, pay attention to our nutrition needs. Like I as absolutely essential as an athlete to make sure you're fueling enough that your energy availability, which is just, you know, the energy after the cost of exercise, essentially that you have enough. So we're not, you know, really increasing risk of injury and illness that we're performing well and all of that. Um, but really also you're enjoying your life. You know, if you're, you're going to get so burned out on training, if all you're doing is stressing about what you're putting into your body and the training you're doing, you need to also live your life. I don't know. That's my approach at least. I, I think it's a great approach. And, and I think it's very telling too, that you don't actually recommend any specific diet to any of your clients that you work with in your private practice. Nope. Uh, and, and that's a pretty common uh, theme that I've found with all of the dietitians that I've talked to over the years. It doesn't matter if they're in a private practice or they work at a hospital or they focus on you know, folks with eating disorders or folks who are athletes, you know, the, the guidance always seems to be the same. You don't need a formal branded specific diet and instead just adhere to these best practices of nutrition for humans and you'll be pretty good. Yeah. And, and I think it's also recognizing like there's no one fit size all or no one size fits all approach. You know, it has to be individualized. I highly encourage everyone to experiment with their own eating. And like, even if you say love a certain food, but you don't feel good eating it, then fine. You know, if your priority is like on how you feel and your training and performance and all that stuff, then you don't eat it or you don't include it as often. You know, we don't have to be so rigid. You know, there are a lot of people like if let's say, you know, people are interested in exploring being vegan or vegetarian and like, you can be like that, like 75% of the time, or, or you can follow some way of eating some of the time. And then once in a while have something and you, it's, you don't have to label yourself, you know? So I feel like so often people are like wanting to put a label on things and you don't have to, like, you can just eat the way that feels good to you. And you don't need to like put a billion labels on things. Um, so that's kind of one thought on that. But the other thought I have too, is um, just because I don't recommend diets. Um, it doesn't mean that I'm not curious about the way that people fuel themselves and the way that they eat. And, um, and that's something I explore, you know, in my own podcast is just like the various ways, especially among like high level, high performance athletes, um, professional athletes, and, and they fuel in so many different ways. And it's, it's very interesting. And it doesn't mean I recommend uh, what the way, you know, the ways that they feel always, but it's really interesting just to kind of see what people are doing and, and how they're doing it and how they're performing on it. Um, but also appreciating that people are very unique and just because so-and-so is following a low carb, high fat diet and doing great on it doesn't mean that that's something that you should do as well. So I don't know. I think it's, yeah, nutrition's a young science and there's, we're just recognizing different things and realizing things all the time. And equally, there's a lot of research that supports, you know, carbohydrates for, you know, endurance exercise or just exercise generally. And I don't know, it's all really interesting stuff. Lots of, and if anyone's interested in reading more, there's just so much out there. For sure. And, and I'm glad that you mentioned how 
we're all unique and what works for someone is not necessarily going to work for someone else. And so just like training, I think we have to experiment a little bit, find what works for us individually and double down on that. And because I'm a running coach, I'll of course use a running analogy here. You know, I will sometimes field questions from runners asking, you know, should I use this you know, should, should I be a Daniel's running formula kind of a runner? Or, you know, maybe I should, you know, do more Canova style training or Arthur Lydiard or 80-20. And, and I just always have to say, like, look, training is just training. You can just do good training. You don't have to put a label on it and follow a formal prescription of, you know, setting up your training in a very exact kind of a way. And I, and I think that's very similar to your diet. You don't have to put a label on it. You don't have to do the same thing all the time. We can mix and match and take different workouts. And as long as there's a coherent plan with everything, then you know we don't have to necessarily pigeonhole ourselves into one style of runner. There's really so many effective ways to train. And there's also so many effective ways to eat too. A hundred percent. Yeah. And, and with food too, you have to keep in mind, like, what are you in the mood for? You know, like some days I'm very, I'm like unintentionally vegetarian or vegan. And it's really just what I have around the house or I'm too lazy to cook something. So I just chop up some tofu or whatever it is, you know? And then other days I'm like, I want a big steak or a big burger, or I want some fish, or I just want pasta. I mean, so you have to like, keep in mind, you know, what are you in the mood for? What sounds good? What do you have available? What do you have the budget for? I mean, there are just so many factors that go into eating decisions and, and really like being able to hyper-focus on this stuff is such a privilege, you know, and not everyone has that. So I think just doing your best to be in tune with your body, pay attention to like, obviously we know there are certain sports nutrition guidelines as to how much we need and the timing of specific nutrients and all of that. And we work with those things, but also you just need to pay attention to like, what's appealing. Like, I don't want you, I don't want anyone force feeding themselves something that they think they quote unquote should have. Um, you know, I mean, obviously there's certain exceptions, like, I don't know, like waking up at four in the morning to have a pre-race meal or something like eat it, just eat the carbs. <laughs> but, um, other than that, you know, we're really just trying to, to tune in to what you want and what sounds good, what's available and all of that. I love it. And it sounds like what we're talking about at the end here, you know, if, if we were to take any take home lessons from this conversation, uh, it would be something like, you know, eat a lot of plants, make sure that you're getting a variety of plant-based foods in your diet. Let's try to reduce processed foods and sugar. And then finally, let's not be so restrictive. Let's be kind to ourselves. And if you really do crave something, you can probably figure out a way to have it in your diet. Do you think that sounds fair? Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think for the most part, but also remembering that any one meal or day or even week is not going to make or break your health or your performance or anything else. There are days where I do not have a vegetable. I swear. Like I'm a dietitian. Like it just happens. I'm like, Oh crap. I didn't have any vegetables. Oh, well, you know, it's not the end of the world, you know? So don't stress about it just because you didn't have your salad today or whatever it is. Like it's really not a big deal. Um, it's, we're really looking at the big picture, just like, I'm sure there's a training analogy here, but, um, but really just focusing on big picture and not beating yourself up either. If like you have a bag of chips or you have some ice cream or you have some wine or whatever it is that you want to enjoy. Again, if the bulk of your diet 
consistently and you're getting like pretty good stuff in there. And then on top of that, like we have room for some extras, right? If every day, like I have a dessert every single day, pretty much. And, and it's fine. You know, I'm not gorging myself on a huge cake or anything, but I'm having a scoop of ice cream or some chocolate or whatever it is. And sometimes I have more than that. And that's also okay. So I think just trying again, not to stress about it, beat yourself up about it. That's, that's more unhealthy than the actual food you're eating if you're doing that consistently. And it also just isn't a good quality of life. So, um, and I, I imagine too, it's, if you're overdoing these things, it's not going to feel good. So if we're paying attention to what feels good, chances are that's going to bring you back to, to a pretty, you know, a, a good style of eating if you're staying true to yourself. That's great. And, and I love how you're giving us permission to not be perfect. And to hear you say that some days I don't eat vegetables or I have dessert every day, that just makes me feel better because, uh, you know, I don't have the perfect diet. And uh, I don't think I ever will. I, I certainly love some processed foods, but I know that if I'm covering most of my bases, most of the time, I should be okay. A hundred percent. There's no perfect, like literally there is no such thing as perfect out there in terms of eating. Um, you know, the whole quote unquote clean eating, that term, I hate that term. There's no dirty food, like it's fine. And also if you're too obsessed with eating only unprocessed foods, again, that's not a, a healthy mentality. That's a stressful, I think it's a stressful uh, perspective. There is such a thing as being too fixated on healthy eating. There is an eating disorder called orthorexia. I'm not saying if you're, I'm not saying people are going to have that if they're fixated on eating unprocessed foods. I'm just saying like, we can go too far with that. And it's a fine line. So again, giving yourself some grace, especially in a pandemic, a stressful year for sure for all of us um, to just enjoy. Um, And you can enjoy healthy foods too, because again, those feel good to eat. Wonderful. Claire, I always enjoy chatting with you. You're such a wealth of information. I so appreciate it. Where can folks learn more about you and what you do? Because I know that you are online, you have your own podcast, which I think I've been a guest on. Thank you. Uh, But I want (laughs) others to check it out. Yes. um, So my website is www.eatforendurance.com. And you can find me Eat for Endurance on Instagram, where I'm most active, but I'm also on Twitter, although I'm not as active there. Um, and Facebook, I have a page, Eat for Endurance. And my podcast is on my website as well, but it's the Eat for Endurance podcast. I started it a little over a year ago, and it's been super fun. It's a passion project. I just basically get people on uh, and, and chat and have fun. It's, it's my, I guess the main feature of it is what I call an athlete nutrition profiles. And um, it's really just a person's story through a nutrition lens. Um, and I also have RD guests on to talk really specific topics like supplements or nutrition for young athletes or master's athletes or whatever it is um, with other dietitians in their specialties. So it's really fun. Check it out. I've had some really amazing guests in there, especially in the endurance world. And um, this season, I'm in season three. I'm looking to kind of broaden that to different sports. So yeah, check it out. Thank you, Claire. This has been amazing. Thank you so much for having me, Jason. And that's our show today. Thank you so much for listening and being part of this community. If you'd like to ask me a question, please send it to support at strengthrunning.com. I'm happy to help. Also, don't miss our nutrition course at strengthrunning.com slash nutrition if you're interested in these topics. And our show today is supported by Inside Tracker. Today, more than ever, it's essential that we're making the right decisions to keep our bodies healthy, to help us be resilient, prevent overtraining, and optimize our running to get the most from it. For the truth seekers, the change makers, and the goal getters, 
The answers are already within you. Literally, they are inside of you. Inside Tracker is the ultra personalized nutrition platform that analyzes your blood and DNA biomarkers, along with your lifestyle habits, to help you optimize your body and reach your goals. Inside Tracker's patented system will transform your body's data into knowledge, into insights, and a customized action plan of science backed recommendations. I'm personally 10 days away from getting a mobile blood draw myself because I want to see how I look on the inside. That data can help you determine whether you're running too much, not enough, or have some other issues that could be affecting your recovery or performance. And if you are ready to take control of your health and optimize your training, Inside Tracker is offering their best deal of the year with $200 off their ultimate plan, which is their most comprehensive package. Use code GIFTFROMSTRENGTHRUN at InsideTracker.com. Now, that code is a little bit of a mouthful. So one more time, it's GIFTFROMSTRENGTHRUN, no spaces, and that will get you $200 off the ultimate plan at InsideTracker.com. Thank you for listening. I hope your running is going well, and this podcast has given you a few new ideas to level up your training. If it was helpful, go ahead and review the show on Apple Music. I so appreciate it. We'll be in touch soon.